with the young goat, the calf and the young lion will feed together, and the little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole. Toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations will seek him out, and his dwelling will be glorious. So we are in the second week of Advent, and we just lit the candle of love, and uh, I chose the Isaiah passage from the lectionary, um, and then the title of the sermon, The Earth Will Be Filled. The earth will be filled. Um, so we know from reading the Bible uh, that Jesse is the father of King David, who of David who ultimately becomes Israel's great king. Um, but when does the line of David, when does the reign of David end? That would be 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians completed the, the siege on Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And they took, they gathered up the elite, the people of Israel and Jerusalem, and um, took them into Babylon, into captivity. And so, if you would, if we turn the page uh, to Isaiah chapter 10, the final image in the previous chapter, chapter 10, is of God lopping up all the great and lofty trees um, down of the Assyrians. And so. The image here, the first image here in Isaiah 11, is of a stump. Uh, if you can imagine the Lord uh, looking across this vast land, uh, it's like someone clear-cut acres and acres of land, and there are stumps all over the place. And the, the God is gazing over this, and what the prophet says is, a shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse, a branch will sprout from its roots. Um, so the current state of Israel as the prophet um, is speaking is one of destruction, one of despair, one of devastation, one of exile. Um, Israel, the line of Jesse, is a stump. It is a tree that has been cut off completely. And um, for us, a stump is a, a symbol of death. There once was life, but no more. There's nothing new. Um, but a stump also has roots, and from the roots will come something new. Uh, so the trees are all gone in my front yard. Uh, I think maybe uh, several months ago, I told you the story of a builder buying up the land right next door. And they put on that landing, they demolished the house that was on there, and in one day, they took out, I think, 30-something, 40-something trees. There's a lot of trees. And they took it out, including the maple, the big maple trees that shaded our whole lawn, shaded our whole home, that was on the fence line. And uh, so it's utterly clear and devastating. So this is what I think about when I think about stumps. Right. And the funny thing is about stumps is actually like another tree is coming up from that maple. So a baby maple, a, a branch, if you will, a shoot, 
just like this image is sprouting up from that stump. And I'm, I'm kind of like waiting for uh, when they start doing the landscaping, like, are they going to, you know, completely destroy this stump? Are they going to like grind down to the roots to get rid of it? Because stuff will continue to grow up. And actually, there are tree sprouts that are coming up all over in my yard. It's like trees, trees, and they're coming from, I think, the root system um, of all the other trees that are just underneath my backyard patio. They're coming, there's trees coming up from the, between the stones of my patio in the backyard. And there's trees coming up. And um, so there's this resilience of life. There's this, oh, everything is gone. Everything is dead. Everything is cleared away. And yet, this resilience, the trees are popping up from the roots. And this is the image that the prophet gives us. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from its, from its roots. The stump is dead, but the root system is still deep down underneath. Right? There's still a, a huge if you will, a tree underneath the ground, sucking up nutrients, sucking up life, and something new will come. I think we often decide too soon where things can't grow, right? <laughs> Nothing can grow there. That rock over there is too hard. That stump is too dead. Sometimes we make these assessments about people, right? People don't change. Once a loser, always a loser. We even make these assessments of entire groups of people. Those people, those people over there, they are hopeless causes. Do not waste your time or resources or compassion on those people. We think about these things, we make these assessments about places in our own life that we feel are dead or hopeless, right? I don't want to uh, invest in that gift anymore because it hasn't worked out for me. I've failed multiple times, so I'm going to put that away in the closet of my heart and move on. Or the times that we've tried to start things, you know, or build things, and they haven't worked out for us. Or they worked out for a while, but then they were knocked off, just like trees. And all we have are stumps. And some of us, our life is like a field of stuffs. When we look across uh, our past and our memories, we see stumps of lost relationships, of jobs lost, of careers that were dead-ended, uh, of people lost through death, um, of being held down, oppression, injustice. Um, and there are people that feel that way, who've lost their homes through natural disaster, or when we speak to immigrants or refugees around us, some of them have fled from their homes being destroyed because of natural disaster, or because of war, or because of political strife, or the threat of death. People have run, and there are stumps. Death, death, death. But this image of a shoe growing up from the stump of Jesse is an image of the resilience of life, amen? Growth where there should not be growth. Life 
finds a way. Life is tenacious. Life is tenacious Israel and the God of Israel. It's been a long time since the life, life of David. It's an old, crusty stump, the stump of Israel. And actually, after the reign of David, that his line ending um, through exile, um, and the time of Jesus, and we you know we read in the Gospels, Jesus came from the line of Jesse and the line you know the line of David. Right? That's six hundred years from the prophecy to the promise to the fulfillment. And uh, but life is tenacious, Amen. The next image: the Lord's Spirit will rest upon him. There's this promise of a new king, of a new ruler who will come and save. And the word here, the Lord's Spirit, is ruach, which interpreted from the Hebrew is wind or breath, the breath of God, the wind of God, the Spirit of God. And when you read about the Spirit of God, when you hear the wind of the Spirit, you should always put on your helmet and your seatbelts, right? Wherever you read in the Bible, the wind of the Spirit or the breath of God, put on your helmet and your seatbelt because the Spirit brings life and new things very often from dead and lifeless things. If you hear the wind of God literally howling around you, your ears, then watch out because something is about to happen. Just like at Pentecost, when we read Ruah, the breath of God, the wind of the Spirit, we immediately are reminded of the breath of God breathing life in the mud-shaped human form of Adam, bringing him new life. Without the wind, you just had the mud, right? The shape of a person from the dirt. But it says, and then God breathed in Adam, and Adam became animated. Where else do we see that? We're reminded of the wind of God in Ezekiel giving life to uh, dead, dry bones, right? And raising up the army of the Lord once again out of despair, out of des desolation, out of death and lifelessness. Up from the ground come bones and the winds from the north, south, west, east come and animate these bones and there's flesh again. What was dead is brought to life. And at the resurrection of Jesus, the Gospel of John, the resurrected Jesus, whose body once tortured and lay lifeless in the tomb, is now breathing the Spirit onto his disciples and sending them out as the new people of the resurrection. Jesus breathed on them, and then he sent them. And they become the church, right? They become this new community of life of his resurrection and his breath. This is the Ruach, the Spirit of God, the breath of life. And here in our passage in Isaiah 11, the Ruach descends and rests upon a rising king, the same root system as David, from desolation and deadness. The Spirit rests on this king as the Spirit descends upon Jesus at his baptism. This is my son, with who I am well pleased. The unexpected king. This passage always reminds me of Lord of the Rings for some reason. 
Who's the who's the king of the humans? Aragorn, right? He's just this normal guy, you know, humble upbringing. He doesn't know he's of actually royalty and a king. And you see this rise, right? There's evil all around. There's bad rulers. There's injustice. There's oppression. There's darkness. The eye of Mordor. And here's this king on this journey, and we see him emerge and kind of rise up uh, to his rightful place. The unexpected king, humble, right, unassuming. And the people are expecting so much more in this prophecy. Oh, the stuff? Oh, God's going to bring us out of exile? You have to remember that this section of Isaiah is writing to a people in exile in Babylon. They're like, oh, the Messiah is coming. Oh, the Messiah is going to lift us up again. Oh, something is going to spring up from the stumps. There's going to be new life. A king is going to come. Remember, the people of Israel in the Old Testament wanted a king like the other nations. They wanted someone who was strong and tall like Saul and could come riding on a horse and be a mighty warrior and save them so they can be like, we have a great king. Look at us. We are a great nation. We are a great people. Right? This king is going to save us. But the king prophesied in Isaiah 11 is an unexpected king. There's something a little different about this comeback story. What the people expect, a rise to prominence, as a powerful kingdom in the world of the Babylonians and the Assyrians, the rise of a mighty king, a great and violent warrior to bring retribution and reprisal and force Israel back into political prominence. This is actually a different comeback story. Amen? This is a different kind of great king. So who is this king? When he comes, everything will change. When he comes, there's transformation. Verse 2, the Lord's spirit will rest on him. What? What what kind of spirit is going to rest on this ruler, this great coming king, this savior? A spirit of wisdom and understanding. When I hear wisdom and understanding, I hear both discernment, someone who has discernment, and understanding, right? For me to understand you is not just to be like, oh, you're five foot eight and you have black hair and you studied here, you have this degree. To understand someone is to know someone, to have listened to their story, to be a listener. And so a spirit of wisdom and understanding means a person with discernment who's a listener. And wisdom, I see, as not just knowledge in of itself, but knowledge plus experience plus goodness equals wisdom. If you have knowledge and goodness and love, that's wisdom. This king will also have a spirit of planning and strength. This king will be a great counselor, the ultimate strategist, the ultimate tactician, right? He won't just be about words, let's do this great big dream, let's make this happen. He will actually know how to make things happen and teach people what to do, the steps to make the 
teaching tactic, the ultimate strategist and tactician. This king will have the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in fearing the Lord, verse, uh, verse 2 and 3. We know in Psalms, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord, right? And by fear, I think the word, the definition is awe. Right? Not, oh, I'm afraid, but to be in awe, as when the angels came and delivered messages to people in the Bible, right? they trembled in fear, and the angels said, do not fear. Right? There's this kind of respect and humility and awe of something or someone who is more powerful than us. And when we fear God as people, there's a humility there, saying God is bigger than us and greater than us and more powerful than us and mysterious, right? I, I don't, I can't encompass God. I can't fully understand God. I, I can't anticipate his plots. I can't anticipate his actions. And so I need to just be reverent. I need to obey. I need to be humble. That's fear of the Lord. There's awe. So this king um, is humble. Verse 3, he won't judge by appearances. Remember in the story of David's own anointing, the prophet Samuel comes to Jesse. Jesse lines up his sons. David isn't there. Right? He's like, oh, surely it's this oldest son. He's like, what a specimen. It's like NFL announcers when they talk about <laughs> right, NFL players. He's a specimen of a player. Six, five, 250 of complete, utter muscle, 2% body fat, right? And that's what Samuel was like when he saw Jesse's oldest son. Whoa, this is the king. And God said, nope, 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 nope. All the way down the line. It's like, Jesse, do you have another son? Oh, I, we have this little shepherd boy out there. He's just in the field. You don't mean him. David comes in, God's like, this is the what? Samuel's anoints him as a future king. And we hear God does not, hear him say, God does not look at the appearance of man, but the heart of man. Amen. Amen? Amen. He won't judge by appearances. I love that part. It's like, oh, he won't judge by appearance. Yes, I'm in. <laughs> Nor desired by hearsay, right? This is not a ruler that listens to gossip and lets gossip or the tabloids or what's trending sway him, right? This ruler is not going to tweet or Twitter and like have petty disagreements with people and sway to and fro because of his popularity or because of polls or whatever. He does not decide by hearsay. Verse 4, he will judge the needy with the righteous. Righteous with righteousness. Righteousness equals, in, the, in scripture, equals justness and mercy. Right? He will judge the needy with justice and mercy. He will decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. This ruler will have concern for those who are needy and who suffer. Rebalancing the scales. This ruler will rebalance the scales. And we see here an example of the powerful treating the powerless as if they matter. Right? If you just think of our world, this isn't the way of our world. 
you don't usually see the powerful treating the powerless as if they matter. But this king is going to turn everything upside down. Are you with me, church? He will strike the violent with the rod of his mouth. By the breath of his lips, he will, he will kill the wicked. When we first look at this, when you first read this, you're like, oh, he's going to treat the violent with violence. Right? He's going to be, yes, revenge, vengeance. He's going to smack them down. Finally, hooray, a warrior who's stronger than the strongest enemy of mine. But when you look at the image more closely, it's the rod of his mouth. How is he going to strike out the violence? With the rod of his mouth, by the, the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. And so it's not by a sword or a spear or whatever weapon you can imagine, but it's his word, right? The, his mouth, the word of God, the gospel. With his words, he will strike down the violence. He will strike down the wicked. And again, that, that, that image of the breath is there. The breath plus the word, capital W, right? The word and the spirit can transform hearts and bring down the whole kingdom. Amen? And so even as we are a church, we are a church that's gathered around the word and led by the spirit. That's why we're people of the word but when you add spirit into the word, that's transformative. That makes change. Um, the suffer in the land, rod of the mouth, breath of his lips. Verse 5, righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. It's not swords or spears, uh, but he will be armed with righteousness and faithfulness. Amen. And we see that this warrior king is actually a peaceful king. The unexpected king is a king of peace. And this is further confirmed by the next section. And a lot of your Bibles may say, have like a uh, subtitle, the peaceable kingdom or the peaceful kingdom. Right? And this is a famous passage of the wolf will lie with the lamb, the leopard lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion will and a little child will eat them. So what you have that is a reversal of what you think uh, is violence or predator and prey, the way of the world, dog eat dog. And in this king's peaceful kingdom, all of those relationships will be changed and made new. So relationships that are marked by violence will instead be marked by peace. Wolf and lamb, leopard and young goat, calf and lion, cow and bear. Children and serpents. That image, children and serpents, remember, uh, part of the curse of the fall was enmity was placed between people, actually it's the mother and snake and the serpent, right? The part of the curse is forever you guys are going to be in conflict and the woman is going to be stomping, you know, on your head in the dust, etc., etc. We remember from the story of Noah, right, kind of this redemption and the flood and the sin of humanity, but kind of the, the little kind of thing that's amiss, you could say a, a curse, is that animals will forever fear humans, right? There's a separation, an enmity, a violence placed between animals and humans. And so 
that is going to be redeemed. So all of you out there who are like, who love the earth and um, are about the stewardship of the environment, that's the vision, the ideal vision. Actually, a restoration of creation means a reconciliation of that enmity between humanity and the earth, humanity and God's other creatures, right? And an end to that violence. Because right now, people, we are the greatest predators in all of the world. <clears throat> That's why birds fly away when you want to kiss them. I try, but they continue to fly away. There's something about them that makes them nervous. And then this whole idea of the world in this kingdom, people will be led by a child. Right? Let the children come to me. Let the, Jesus said that. Let the children come to me. For unless you have a heart like these children, you will not go into the kingdom of heaven. A child will lead us to be childlike. It's to be a member of this new kingdom, this transformed creation, to have the innocence of a child, to have the openness of the child. When the spirit of God comes, when the ruach, when the breath of transformation comes into your lives, your heart becomes vulnerable and open again to new possibilities just as children are open to new possibilities, are vulnerable to new things. Amen? We're cynical. Most of us are crotchety, right? I know when I'm 80, I'm going to be a grumpy old man. Because I'm a grumpy young man right now. Right? A crotchety. I'm getting more set in my ways. Right? I'm getting a little more stubborn. Little things annoy me. And I, you know, I talk about it more. Right? The nice game is like fading away. I know what I want, how I want it, and if you're in there, get out. Right? But a child, children, are open. And their imaginations are still intact. They have faith. They're not jaded by cynicism for the ways of the world. And in this peaceable kingdom, a child will lead us. Amen. A child will lead us. And then the, the final image of earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. The entire world will know God. Not just know and be know God, the knowledge of God. Right? But know and fear and be in awe and be intimate. Like the knowledge as in being intimate in relationship with the Lord. The earth will be filled with an intimate knowledge and relationship of the Lord. So this king will create a world that people are attracted to. That what we're made to be in living in peace, not kept out of, not kept out of, but all creation will be transformed. Now the cynics in us are like, what is this, utopia? <laughs> like, like, you're just describing an idyllic, an idyllic society, an idyllic world, but all of us, you know, can imagine it, but this isn't real, right? This isn't actually going to happen. And hasn't Jesus come? 
But there's still wars. There's still violence. There's still poor. There's still suffering in the land. So the prophecy was never fulfilled. It's not fulfilled. And that's true. We experience that. We all experience the now and not yet. Amen? We all experience, we have all experienced community, a, a piece of this kind of kingdom, of this culture, of this ethos, in church or in family or in other places where we've seen the spirit of God move, the Ruach move and transform communities in a place. We've experienced a taste or a foretaste of that. And yet, we turn on the news and we experience not that. Right? We're snapped back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Right? We're reminded of the aisles, the political aisles, the racial aisles, the social economic aisles, the enmity between Christians who say your brand of Christianity is bad and wrong, and the other kind of Christian. Right? The, the divisions between the vulnerable, the landless, and those without a nation. And those super fun owners, and those who control land, there's enmity. Walter Brueggemann, in his uh, lectionary kind of Bible study, wrote, Advent is our decision to trust the new wind against the hopeless stump of what is failed. He's speaking about Isaiah, rather. To trust this new Ruark. The new wind versus the stuff of death. Right? And we always have that choice, right? To be cynical and rely on, to trust in death, what we know about the world of dead, or to trust this new vision, this new creation of the spirit. And that's what Advent, at its core, is about. When we say we're waiting for you, and everything will change. We daily wait for baby Jesus to come. The wind is turning. Right? The world is changing. The Spirit gives life and new possibilities. Advent is a chance to be open to the Spirit, to, be, to allow new things to grow. To allow new things to grow from the roots that have already been there. Maybe they're deep down. For any of us who have witnessed the birth of a child, right, there is that new openness, that new vulnerability, that possibility of hope, right, that we all feel. That's why you can't help but cry and be emotional. Because it's like, oh, new life. And that's what Advent is about. When we want to lash out, in anger in this world of violence and conflict. Or leave that snarky comment to the jerk trolling you on Facebook. You know what I hate when I post something on Facebook and someone I don't even know who's maybe friend of a friend, maybe I shouldn't make my Facebook less public, but it's like they're a friend of a friend and they make this long like blah 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 blah. I'm like, who are you? Like, and I just want to rip them, right, in the comments. And then you get in this long Facebook war. It's like, oh, and you feel, and as a pastor, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Should I have? No, but I'm a strong pastor. Oh, but I have to be loving and forgiving. Oh, yeah. ah! Right? So I 
learned just not to reply to people irritating. But, you know, there's all of those times in our lives we want to lash out, we want revenge, we want to make our point, we want to step on people, we want to destroy people. What would it look like to live in the vision of love, of this peaceful kingdom, to choose wisdom and understanding, to choose peace, just like this king, full of wisdom and understanding? What would it look like for us to cross the aisle of division? You know, someone has spoken, spoke some truth to me that, you know, I have definitely strong political leanings. I'm also a pastor, and we're a nonprofit organization. Uh, and there's always this balance between being prophetic and, teach, and speaking truth that I see in scripture and in the world that's going around and just participating in the overall, like, you know what I'm saying? The overall hostility, right? The overall division that's happening. What does it look like to be ambassadors? Not spineless, you know, doormats, but real peacemakers to cross the aisle, to cross the division, racial, social, economic, this brand of Christianity versus that brand of Christianity. What would, what would it look like to be ambassadors of love? As we've lit the candle of love, how can we be a people that embodies transformative love that carries a vision of this community, of this peaceful kingdom, in a war-torn kingdom, a kingdom within a kingdom? Amen? That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to be the people of God in Advent, living in the world. Is we're a kingdom within a kingdom. And we're living this vision out through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in order to be change agents in a world marked by violence and hate and justice and suffering. And we say, nevertheless, we will live for this. Amen? Nevertheless, we lay down our weapons, our swords, and our shields, and our guns, and let the children